I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. Uh, I believe if a man has, woman has, that if they have certain things in their possession, I believe that you can lack uh, tremendously in others. But as long as you have certain things in your life, that you're going to be successful. And uh, in other words, the world will, will lead you to believe that you have to be wealthy. You have to have money. You have to have prestige. You have to have popularity. You have to have influence. And all those things are good to have. But I believe that uh, there's there's one thing that we we should have, and that is uh, humility is a direct, uh, a, a, a very, I mean, it's a very vital key that we need for our lives if we are going to be who God wants us to be. And so I believe that we all have an expected end. The Bible talks about us having an expected end. And I believe when the Lord, if the Lord being the author and the finisher of our salvation, his story and our story many times is, is totally different. But the only reason it is, is because we fail to, to bow and we fail to become subjective to his will. His will, for instance, the will of God was for Moses to speak to Pharaoh. But Moses was so insecure in himself, which stemmed from a root of pride, that he begins to tell God what he couldn't do. And so God didn't waste his time with Moses. You don't see any argument with God. He doesn't look at Moses and say, well... I've made you and you're fearfully and wonderfully made and I know everything about you and I wouldn't call you if I didn't think you'd do it. He didn't spend any time arguing with him. He said, all right, your brother can do it. I don't ever want to be in the position when God says, I want you to do something, Adam. And I go, you know what? I'm not good at this and I'm just not. I'm so down on myself. And God says, all right, I'm going to let Brother Sims do it. I'm thankful that God's willing to use others. But I, hey, I want I want God's will to be done in my life. Amen. So James four and 10, and I'm going to rush through these. I'm sorry if I didn't, I think poor, I did Judah an injustice when I, I didn't give him my scriptures. If James four and 10, I'll just read through them. Uh, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Now you can be humbled two ways. You can be humbled two ways. You can be humbled by the mere fact that you willingly bowed your knee and become and, and, and willingly be humbled. Or you can kick against him and fight against him like Paul did. Paul's on a destination. God says, I'm, you're, you're not humble. I'm going to show you what humility is. Kicks his feet out from underneath, out from underneath him, takes his vision from him and humbles him himself. And so if you're here today and you think, well, I don't I don't want to bow. I'm not going to do this. You know, one day you're going to bow. The Bible says every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Whether you're an agnostic, whether you you claim that there's no God, you're going to bow. You're going to bow. You can you can bow on your own or you can bow on his terms later. Some in his terms, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes he has to take things away from us. So he says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. If you want lifted out of your junk, out of your gutter, you better you should humble yourself. Colossians three and twelve says, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, compassion or kindness and humbleness and of mind. And meekness and longsuffering. Proverbs 29 and 20, uh, 23 says, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me. Proverbs 18 and 12 says, Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, and before honor is. And then one more, uh, John 3 and 30 says, He must increase, but I must decrease the more of him less of me 
And I want to talk to you just for a little bit this morning on humility being the key to apostolic authority. The key to apostolic authority. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Thank you for standing for so long. I, I want to say this, that it has never been the will of God for a Christian to walk around feeling defeated or insecure. I know that there are things that's happened to each and every one of us in our lives that have caused us to question ourselves and question what we are and who we are. I know in, in my life there are things that have happened that I've went through that have been hard on me, whether it's been rejection from a loved one, rejection from a friend or Somebody hurting us, somebody abusing us, somebody mistreating us causes us to feel insecure. It's a scary thing to know that insecurity and humility actually look alike and they feel alike. And there is a danger in that. Insecurity and humility feel and look alike. They favor and it's hard, you know, usually you see a person, you go, oh, they're humble. No, a lot of times it's insecurity. When they say, ah, I just, I'm this, you pick somebody else, you know. Um, it's, it's like when God did call Moses, he said, I want you to call my people or tell, or tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And it appears that he's humble when he says, you know, I'm not, I can't do it. I'm just, I'm just not the best. And you go ahead and let you somebody else. And we can't confuse that uh, with humility and insecurity because insecurity says that I can't do it even when I have God's backing. Hear me. Humil- in, uh, insecurity says I can't do it even when God has my back. Humility says... I can't do things on my own, but I can do all things through Christ Jesus. It's the, it's the same spirit that says, greater is he that is in me that is in all the world, but knowing I can't make it on my own. Uh, in, inferiority and uh, insecurity complexes will make you run away from the will of God. Humility says, I can't make it with God and cause you to run towards the altar of sacrifice. Uh, Either way, humility keeps you running and insecurity keeps you running. And it depends which one you have on what direction you go. Right? You were... You were humble when you came to Jesus, when you came to an altar of repentance and said, I can't make it on my, I can't do it on my own. And that's where you were, Brother Dave. A lot of us were the same way when you, 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 you finally said, you know what? I, I've, I've tried to do things on my own and I simply can't. So God's going to have to help me. And you make your way back to an altar. And, and that's the basis of our salvation. But hear me, we should never lose the sense of humility, uh, it doesn't matter how far you walk in uh, on your walk with God and how great you get. doesn't matter how great a preacher you get or great teacher you get or great a singer or whatever you do. The, the, the more talent you get, it seems a lot of times people lose their humility. But we can't, uh, we can't fail to strive to be better in our walk with God. And we can't lose God. We can't lose God. I see some people, some people use God as a, as a, a spare tire or crutch. Sometimes they need him and sometimes they don't. And when it seems like when they have money in the bank, they don't need him. <coughs> and all of a sudden they are without everything and all of a sudden they, they need him. But God should never be a temporary need in our life. We have to ha- want him When things are good and when things are bad. But there's never been a will of God. It's never been the will of God where we should walk around insecure. Hear me. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And Jesus, the the drop of blood that he shed on Calvary's hill 
You've got to take that person and realize that if you were the only one, if you were the only one, he would have still made the trip. He would have still shed his blood on Calvary's hill. So you were worth the journey, even when you never gave him a promise that you would ever love him back. He made the trip for you. So you don't ever have, don't, it's a slap in the face to walk around being insecure. When you're saying it, what you're really saying is, God, what you did for me, it really wasn't good enough for me. Think about that. When Moses said, God, I, I, I don't I, I, I let, let my brother do it. What he was saying was, God, I don't trust your ability to hire. I don't trust your ability to put trust in me. And so when God calls us, we need to be uh, we, we need to be confident in his call and his direction enough to accept that call and be bold in it. Amen. And so I, I see a lot of people that their lives are in disarray and, 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 and but they got calls on their life and God's just got them unexpected in this this great, amazing things he wants to do in their life. But God can't because he he will not force the hand of, of people. Uh, and he he all he can do is extend a call. He gave us his word and it's up to us to humble ourselves and be under subjection to his word. And that is what we need to do. What we need to start getting up and saying is, oh, I dread this. I hate this. What we need to do is anticipate his call and say, God, whatever you want me to do, if you called me, I know you trust me. If you call me, I trust you. So we all have a call. We all have a place in the kingdom. We all have a purpose. We can't allow the enemy to belittle us or trick us into feeling insecure to the point that we run from the call that Jesus has entrusted us to. Romans 8 and 37. I like what it says. He didn't say we were conquerors. Somebody that conquers is somebody that simply defeats. Somebody that takes the reins. Somebody that, that, that has victory. He said, nay, in all these things we are more Oh, you got to understand something. You know how I'm not trying to be political here. When 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 Donald Trump gets up and says it's huge or great or just magnificent, it was the perfect call. It was perfect how he says. You know, I'm talking about those those very descriptive words. It's great. It's huge. It's wonderful. When that's the way the scripture was really meant. It was it was not just something there to build up excitement. He said, look, you're conquerors, but you're not just conquerors. You're more than conquerors through him. <laughs> In other words, you're far beyond conquerors. You're greater than any conqueror. Alexander the Great was a conqueror. Winston Churchill was a conqueror. General Patton was a conqueror. But he said, look. When you in my kingdom, you're more than conquerors. I want to I just want to tell everybody, I don't care where you're from or how much money you have or don't have or what name that you don't possess. If your name's uh, Bernard or Mangan or whoever else that we may love and put on a pedestal, whether it's Jeff Arnold, whatever. Hear me. Listen to me. If you've got the Holy Ghost. You are more than conquerors. More. I'll prove it. I'm going to prove it. Can I tell you a story real quick? I got to get back to my lesson here. But let me. These these kids. I trust the prayer of these kids most of the time more than some of the adults because they understand when when the Bible says something they believe it. They don't question. I was preaching in Kentucky and I was up there. I think my dad was there. My mom was there. And we saw we saw this happen. There's this kid, guy that came up and he had been in a car accident and he had had his face ripped off when he was 16 years old. And you could tell he, he was uh, uh, 
He wasn't bald from because he had lost his hair like me. He was bald because he had lost his face, and they took his whole face off, and they cut his whole head off up here, his his uh, top of his the bone of his skull, and they took it off because it was crushed and smashed in so many pieces, and they put a cadaver's bone. Imagine that. They had to put a cadaver's bone. So when they put the cadaver's bone on, that was a bone of somebody that had died, and they put it on his head, and they put a makeshift sack between the brain and, and the head. I didn't even know that they could do things, and I'm sure that technology is far beyond that now. But they cut this guy's head up here, and they put put that cadaver's bone on, and they they was hopeful that it would take, but it started rotting and dying, and it was it was just a a skull implant. It was it blows my mind. I can't even fathom talking about it, thinking about it, but it happened, and. So he came up, he said, listen, he said, this is the third time. And they said, he said, this is the last time. He said, I've got a little girl, I've got a wife. He said, the doctors have given up hope. They said, if it doesn't take the third time, there's no hope. He said, sadly, he said, I have got a deteriorating hole between my skull and the sack. And it's leaking infection in my brain. He said, I can't function. I'm dying. He said, you're going to have. He said, I'm desperate. His wife's standing there trembling, weeping. And um, this was at Brother Mark Parrish's church in Owensboro, Kentucky. And it happened. I have got the proof back there in, in, in my office. I think it's in my, in, in my files back there where I wanted a doctor's statement. I wanted proof because I knew somebody that didn't know the situation, wouldn't believe it. So I wanted proof. I got documented proof. I'll have to find it. But anyhow, uh, so you know what I did? There was a little girl in the front row, and she was worshiping God, and I kept being, I was drawn to her. I thought, man, what a faithful, worshiping little girl, about nine or ten years old. So I brought her up, and I brought Ethan and Jacob up. Tyler wasn't born yet, and there was a few other little kids. I said, you know what? If God heals this bait, this this man... Here, here's what's going to happen. I'm not going to get any credit. So when I testify, you remember it happening? I said, when I testify about it, I can't say that I laid hands on him and prayed for him. I said, if God gets any credit, it's going to be through the faith of those kids. Those kids came up and they laid hands on that man. They went, he went back to the doctor. Hear me, I've got two, I've got two MRIs. I wanted proof. I called him. I said, I want you to get me proof. And I want what the doctor said. Cause a lot of people say, well, that's what just, that's just the doctor. That's hearsay. It, uh, or the doctors got it wrong the first time. There was no deteriorating hole in the first place. He was just wrong. And you know how people are. Some of y'all have been like that. It really, that was So they came up. i got to get back to my point. They came up and prayed for him. The next week they went in and they was, try, gonna, they was trying to figure out what they was going to do. Feed him antibiotics until the infection uh, just subsided, until he would eventually die. They come in and they said, look, we don't know what happened. But there was a hole here and it was a big hole and he was dying of infection. Now it's gone. <laughs> now it's gone. But that didn't come, hear me, that, that didn't come from me. That didn't come from my ministry. I preached horrible that night. I, 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 I stumbled all over my words, so it had nothing to do with me. But I'll tell you what, it did have something to do. Those little kids and their faith and their humility, they knew that they didn't have the power to heal, but they just happened to believe what Jesus said in his word, what would happen. And they laid hands, and God healed him. That same service, we prayed for a woman stand up. She didn't look apostolic. She come in. She was. She looked like she was strung out. To be honest with you, she didn't look near apostolic. She came in. She said, "My baby's born premature, and he was. He's. He's going to be blind." The doctor said, "Let's do surgery on him just to hopefully fix where he could see shadows, and that's the best that he could. We could possibly do." I didn't mean to tell this story, but I feel like telling it. But anyway, they, they those kids in that same. Uh, prayer meeting, prayed for this woman. She went back home. The next Monday, the doctor went in to do the surgery, and the doctor was so angry, and he got on the phone, and this was his words. He said, why in the world have you mixed up my patients? They called, and they said, what are you talking about? They said, this baby here's eyes are perfect. 
said, you have given me the wrong patient. You've mixed it up. Who? What do you mean we've mixed up? This is this is the same kid here. This is him. They said, well, if it is, this kid's got a new set of eyes. It happened in that same service, in that same service. Those kids prayed for him, not me. So I can, I can only testify. What happened was about three years later, I went and preached for Brother Clement. And preached, I was preaching a winter warm-up service, and this woman will come up to me. This time, I, I didn't know who she was. I didn't notice her. She looked apostolic, cleaned up, apostolic girl. She come up, she goes, you don't remember me, do you? And I tell you, she didn't look nothing like she had did, had did before. She came up, she's like, i got to tell you something. She said, you don't remember me? I said, no, I don't. She said, you prayed for my baby. You had those kids come up and pray for my baby. She said, let me tell you what I didn't tell you that night. She said, I had heard stories when I was a little girl that Jesus healed blinded eyes. But she said, my, they also said my son would never walk. And he would never be able to feed himself. And he would be mentally retarded for the rest of his life. And he would be deaf. So he would be a vegetable and, and, and worthless to society. And I would constantly have to... To deal with him, feed him, he would be, he would, he would be, uh, never ever think for himself, never have his own, uh, uh, house, he would never be able to live outside of me. She said, but I didn't know that God could heal those other things. She said, I only thought that God could heal a blinded eye. She said, so that's all I asked for. She said, but hold on. And there was this little three-year-old kid running around. I mean, he was just creating havoc. And I was like, what is that kid? She said, come here. And he comes up. And this kid's walking around. She said, the doctors say that there's nothing wrong with his mind. He is the head of his his little class that he is in. He has nothing wrong with his ears. He has nothing wrong with his eyes. And there's nothing wrong with his mind. She said, Jesus took care of it all right in the same service. I told you all that, and I, I could save them stories for another time and talk to you about that, about miracles after miracles. But hear me, it happened at the hand of children praying in a bold prayer simply uh, because they had faith in God and not their own calling. And we got too many people, we got too many people in the churches they wonder why in the world that God doesn't flow through them. They're, con- they're supposed to be conduits. It's because they're so clogged up with their own and intoxicated with their own thoughts and their own abilities. And they resist the move of God and they stop it up. And that's what we really are. We are conduits. That's where I was going to talk about Anthony. It, you know, I, I don't know a whole lot about current electricity. But if you've you got, if you got a cut in a wire... It doesn't matter how much power you got at the box. You're not getting power to that refrigerator, that microwave, that vacuum cleaner. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do. You can have all the power and the potential you you have in that house running to that box. But if you've got a, a, something wrong or a flow uh, with the flow and the conduit, you're not going to have that power. And that is what humility is. Humility is allowing God to flow through you a conduit so you can do the will of God. It's like, brother, uh, Billy Cole. He had he had so many health issues. Uh, he was a, a large feller. He was a big guy, but he uh, and I, you know, why? How? I got to be careful. Had a, had a weight problem, and people judged him. And so, but he had a, a literal health problem, thyroid problem, and his his body just didn't work like some. Or should it like it should work and people judged him. But hear me. He understood the power of humility. He said he understood when he went to Thailand, he said, look, I cannot do anything. I'm so limited. And he had to continually, continually lean on just the voice of God. 
And when everything was against him, when he went there and all the odds were stacked against him. Matter of fact, when he got there, the government was trying to hold him out and kick him back out. He tells the story. There's some stories on the Internet. It's pretty amazing when you hear his testimony that all of Thailand was trying to kick him out and keep him out. That was that was the power of hell working through flesh. But he just kept standing back saying, God, I can't get in on my own. You're going to have to lead and guide me. And every step he took, he said he had to rely on God. Every choice he made, it was the next step was a pure, pure, unadulterated trust in Jesus Christ. And it seemed like every step that he took, God went through there and just knocked. Everybody out of his way. And when he went there the first year, three or four years, nothing happened. But hundreds of thousands of people ended up coming to Jesus. And he baptized thousands and thousands of people in Thailand simply because he let God flow through him. James 4 and 6 says, but he giveth more grace. Say more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. He giveth more grace to the humble. The word resisteth. You know what it really means in the, in the Strong's? Study the word. It literally, the Bible says, God resisteth the proud. It literally means he ranges war or battle against the, the, the proud. I know God doesn't go to war by himself. He's got a host of angels. He does everything with complete organization. And he speaks and things happen. So when somebody, when a saint of God is, is full of pride, he literally rages battle and war against you. Bible says he resisteth the proud. He's like, look, that man or woman is proud. And what we're going to do is we're going to rage war against him. And everything he or she does, we're going to stop it. And I've seen people a lot of times, they, they feel like they're being resisted and they blame the devil. But could it be God raging war or resisting your attitude or our attitude? He said he resisteth to range a battle with or to resist. It literally says that God goes to battle against someone that is prideful. He can't stand it. Matter of fact, he hates it so much. He hates it to the point, you know, Satan become prideful in, in himself. Satan. If you study the book of Ezekiel, you'll find that Ezekiel or the, the Lucifer, when he when God made him. He put inside him, built inside him, jewels. And inside each or in this plate on his chest was jewels and rubies. And they weren't givers of light, but they were reflectors of light. And the only time Lucifer was anything when he, is when he was in the presence of God. And the only light that shined from him was the light that came from God. So the only time that Lucifer was anything was when he was in the presence of God. And so when he steps out of the direct presence of God, he was nothing on his own. And he became insanely jealous of that. And he became prideful. Pride is just self-will, self Using your own self to try to get something accomplished. And that's what Satan did. So when God was not in his presence, Satan wasn't anything. And so that's what made him rebel against God. He thought he could do God's job better. And we know he did. And when he falls like lightning to the earth, was it 286,000 miles per second he fell from the from heaven to the earth? And so when the angels see people that are in rebellion, he doesn't want anything to do with them. He doesn't guard. They don't protect. And so that's just that's another message for another time. But God literally resisteth the proud. He hates it. He hates it. 
Satan fell from heaven because of pride. But then he, he goes on to say, but he gives grace to the humble. Grace, that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, lovingness, grace and speech, goodwill, loving kindness, favor. I think I would rather have all those attributes than to have God rage war against me. Grace literally means, he, uh, and I, I did the study, I went in and looked at it. What's it mean to give grace to the humble? It means, literally, I'll read it again. He affords them joy. He affords them pleasure. He afford, affords them delight, sweetness, charm, lovingness, grace, and speech. You see, some, pe- some people walk around, they don't have those attributes. It's because they have a pride issue. I'm going to get in trouble. I, I, better, I better go on. People that are rude, people that are crude, people that are obnoxious, people that are full of themselves, people that think they know everything, people that think that you can't, they say, you can't tell me anything, I already know it. I know it all. That is a spirit of pride. That's an unteachable spirit. And you can't know, uh, no man fully knows everything. So we've got to put ourselves under subjection to something. Every, I don't care how old you get. I don't care how old you get. You, you need somebody in your life to be under subjection to. And my mind always goes back to people like brother, brother, uh, just said his name. Billy Cole, his pastor, he was under subjection to his father. I heard him tell the story. He said, to my father, he was my pastor. Whatever he said goes. He said, I did it. The day he died at his funeral, he's standing at his father's casket. He felt naked. He felt empty because he didn't have a covering. So he looked at Pastor James Kilgore and said, my dad has died. He said, I need somebody in my life to give me direction. Will you help me? Billy Cole, the one that preached a three-day revival and 90,000 people received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He's asking this older guy with silver hair to to be a voice in his life. What was he doing? He was an act of humility. And saying, there's times where I'm wrong. There are times where I'm so intoxicated with my own thought process. I need somebody to give me direction. Because let's face it, when you're hurt, when you're hurt, you're anger, and you're bitter, and you have unforgiveness, you can't see your own Shortcomings and failures. You can't. Somebody else has to see it. They pointed out. I'm thankful. I love my pastor. When uh, Pastor Parkey, when I'm wrong, I'll call him and tell him. I'll say this and this and this happened. He'll say, first of all, he said your your mind's thinking the wrong thoughts. First, clear up your mind. And I have to be a man enough. To say, you know what, you're right. And I can kick against him and I can get mad, whatever. But I'm telling you right now, I'll die with bitterness and hurt and frustration if I don't heed the voice of the man of God in my life. I'll tell you right now, Bill Parkey, my pastor, I didn't mean calling Bill Parkey. And I, I, I love that man so much. If he called me tonight and said, I'm coming to your church to preach. And I'm preaching, and you're, there's not going to be any music. I'm coming tonight. I would step aside, and I'd say, "You're you're the man. You're you're the man of God in my life." He he probably would never do that. And if he did, I'm telling you, I would do it a hundred percent. I don't care who I had scheduled to preach. I'd step over and let him preach. Why? Because God understands that if we move out of our place, then we lose our power. And humility keeps us in our place. Hear me. Humility keeps us in our place. Why do we need to stay in our place? Well, because power dwells in a place and not a human being. 
Because you can be the smartest human being in the world, but if you're out of your place, you lose your power. Let me give you a little, and this is, this is a power, if you could ever, we could ever grab this concept. We could ever grab this concept. That authority dwells in a place, a jurisdiction. That's why the Bible says, he that dwelleth in the secret place shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. When the centurion soldier came to Jesus and said, my servant's sick, I need you to pray. Jesus said, I'll go home with you. Jesus said, no, you don't, you don't have to go home with me. Speak your word. He said, because I understand authority. He, was, he understood his place. And he, just, he, just, he just went and told him, he said, because I understand I'm in a place of authority. And I have people over me. And I also have people, I'm over people. And I understand how the power of the word speaks, so I'm in my place, and I know my jurisdiction. So when I say go, they go, and if they tell me to go, I go. So I understand my place. So when you're out of your place, you're out of the line of authority, you lose your power. So police officer, you can have, a police officer can have a badge, he can have a gun. But if he's outside of his jurisdiction, outside of his place, he loses his authority and his power. And I don't have to tell you how all that works. State police, if he's outside of Indiana, he loses his authority. County police officer, he's outside of Owen County, he loses his authority. Same as the town police officer. If he's outside the jurisdiction of Spencer, he loses his authority. Because authority dwells in a place Humility is a tool to keep you grounded in your place. Because every single one of us has a place in which God puts us in. But when we get high and mighty and we think more of ourselves than we are, we step outside our place and say, I don't need them. I don't need him in my life. I don't need her in my life. You're out of your place. And so, therefore, you lose your authority and your power. That is, man, that is a powerful concept. Jesus, I know he was God in the flesh. And I'm not here to confuse anybody this morning. We know he's God. He's the first and last, the Alpha and the Omega. He's, he's the only God. But hear me, because he put himself in a body. Okay? He put himself in a body. And him coming to earth was the perfect example of humility. Imagine having all the power all over the world. To, 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 to tell every demon in hell they have to leave. He could have called legions of angels when he was on the cross and he could have had them all annihilated. But he, because he put himself in the spirit and the flesh, he put himself under the authority of the laws of the flesh. That's why when his mother said, do what they say, when he said, it's not my, my time, woman, he told her, he said, it's not my time. She said, look, I'm your mom. You do what they say. And he lined up under the flesh. This is going to go against some of y'all's theology, but he had a plan. What did he say? It's not my time yet. She said, look, do what I say. He said, you know what? I'm going to choose to put myself under the humility of the flesh more than my own plan. So when she said, do it, he did it. He questioned her about it. But he said, you know what? This is my place. And when he, he was on the cross... And in, in the garden, he prayed the prayer, Father, if it's possible, let this cut pass for me. He was under the authority of the flesh. That's why he prayed. Because his flesh was weak and his flesh was tempted. But he, he understood that the power of humility was the greatest tool. He stood in his place because he put himself under the authority of the flesh. It, it, man, if we could ever understand the power of humility. When he said, Father, not my will, but thine be done. That was the greatest act of humility that was ever been. And, and he, he had um, the spirit of Trying to find the word. I'm having problems this morning. Finding the word. Power under control. What is that? Meekness. Thank you. 
He was meek. Meekness is power under control, knowing that you can do something about it. But you controlled it and you didn't. Just like when he came and they lied and they lied on him and they told all these things, accusations about him. The Bible says he said not a word. He could have revealed all their failures, all their sins, and he could have taken them all out then. But he was he he had focus in mind and he, he chose the path of humility. Humility is not hanging your head low and belittling yourself. Humility is depending on the sovereignty of God, understanding that his ways are right, choosing to align ourselves with the will of God and trusting his ability to lead and direct us. It is a never-ending, growing process. That is why Jesus made the statement, If anyone desired to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Denying our own ways is an essential part of following Christ. Self-denial is the first step in following Jesus Christ through repentance. Rick Warren, writer of the book, so I've got some of his books in my office. On the, I, he says one of the best statements on, on humility and what humility is. He says, now, this, this is going to be hot. This is awesome. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Let me read it again. You can't put this on Facebook that I said it because Rick Warren said it. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's a powerful concept. Self-denial is not the same as depriving yourself. It is depending on, on God to supply our desires and needs and not playing God with our own lives. I don't believe anyone is deprived when they deny themselves. It's a powerful, powerful concept, humility. Jesus commanded to deny ourselves carries a lot of weight. We are being asked to deny gratification, self-sustainment, and self-righteousness. That's why fasting is such a powerful tool. There's a lot of religions out there that they, they want you to fast. Matter of fact, there's a lot of sports uh, people out there, they say fasting's great for your body. Fasting, if you fast 48 hours, fast for three days, it helps clean your body, makes you stronger, cleans you all the toxins. But it's the reason as to why you fast. It's not, not so much the act of fasting. It's as to why you fast. And if you fast for the right reason, it is, it is a very powerful tool. And if you fast for the reason, and this reason is, let's face it, we all like to eat, right? Who doesn't like to eat? Does anybody in here don't like to eat? That's the first, that's the question, 100%. Who likes to eat? Oh. Brother Voorhees, they're in church. And I've seen about 40, 30 people raise their hand. We, uh, who likes to eat? Ron's back there rubbing his belly. He didn't raise his hand, but I know the answer to what I know what he means. I know he likes to eat because I've camped with Ron and he likes to eat. But when you when you deny yourself food. And you do it for the reason that you you're putting yourself, your flesh under subjection, what you're doing is you're, it's that is an act of humility. That's why we. And I, we haven't done it for a while. I, I got out of the tradition of uh, foot washing. One day we're going to do that foot washing. I know that's something that people don't like to do. And I want to be very specific. I had somebody quote me and say that I said that I uh, that I made fun of foot washing. I had somebody say that I made fun of foot washing. I didn't make fun of foot washing. I said if foot washing was a glamorous, joyful thing, God wouldn't have chose it to make you humble. And if, if you enjoy foot washing, it's not doing the job that it was set out to do. Because nobody likes to wash somebody's feet. And if you do, that's another message for another time. <laughs> but it takes an act of humility. 
to lower yourself. The servants would, that's this was the servant's job to wash the, the, the people's feet, the king's feet. You walked in, they had the dust and the, the grime and the junk through the everyday life and walk through. And they come in, they say, you know what? My feet are dirty. You get down here. I'm not washing my feet. You wash my feet. And there was a, there, it was a, a kind of, it was just a de- very demeaning thing. But that was a servant's job. And when Jesus talked about washing feet, what he was saying was, look, this is something you ought to do willingly. So when we clear ourselves and clear our minds and clear and lower ourselves, because nobody that thinks highly highly of themselves likes to wash someone's feet. You wash your own feet. When you when you take the act of humility and you become humble, there's nothing more powerful than that. Nothing more powerful than that. I, I, my mind goes back, and I'm, I've used him. I've used my friend James Willis a hundred times, and if, if if you've heard it, you remember it. Please just just give me a second, James Willis. Nobody in my life I've ever been around carried the humility that James Willis carried. Nobody. Um, and not to go through all the stuff because you already most of you already know he he was always he used to drive us crazy. He used to drive my dad crazy. Just. Not to make fun or make light of it, but this is, Brother Donnie, can I get you some coffee? Brother Hill, can I get you some, can I get you something to eat? Brother Donnie, can I get you, can I, can I get you, can I help, can I wash your, can I wash your car, Brother Donnie? Can I, can I rake, and my dad would say, yeah, Brother James, you don't have to do that. And he was always there. You could always see him, always um, waiting on him. Just a powerful, powerful prayer when he prayed. There was something to it. He had, what, a third or fourth grade education, never carried a driver's license, never had any money, never till we came into his life. I don't even know if he had running water or electricity. We dad helped him. And but he was always he was he was like, what can I do to help continually? What can I do to help? You say, well, that's annoying. And it probably was at the time. But and at his death, not very many people came to his funeral. Dad did his funeral. But what a lot of people didn't know was James Willis. He preached in the street of Chicago and the, he preached so fervently and so powerfully that the gangs in the street sought to kill him. He was a threat to the hell, kingdom of hell. They were so, so mad. Who, who would threaten a gang with, with all this ammunition and all this power? What, what would, what would they want to kill a, a little frail, short, dumpy old man for unless he was a threat to their kingdom and the reason why was they was continually losing gang members because james willis would stand at the other end of the block and preach to them and he was baptizing people in jesus name and he was getting filled with the holy ghost and they were losing gang members so they threatened to cut his head off, threatened to kill him, tried to run him out. And he had baptized over 3,000 people in the streets of Chicago. He didn't have a church. He didn't have a church building. But I know one thing. The one outstanding character that he had, besides he, was a, he just gave, was he was humble. And he cared about, I was a pastor's kid, I didn't really deserve the honor that I got. He cared about what happened to me more than he cared about himself. Tell dad one time, dad's brakes in his truck was going out. Dad was driving down the road and I was forget, it was, he told my dad, he said, or dad said, brother James, he said, why don't you get out and ride with whoever else? Was it mom? My cousin, he said, why don't you ride with Jeff? James said, I'll ride with you. And brother, my dad said, well, what, what if my brakes go out? And he said, well, 
He said, if anything happens to you, Pastor, he said, I wouldn't want to live anymore anyway. Powerful humility, continually empty of himself, never lived for himself, was constantly looking to live and give to others. And hear me, I'm telling you, the key to apostolic revival is when we prefer our brother over ourselves and we love people more than we love ourselves. Jesus had that. He said, look, he said. He came and he, he gave his he gave his vision. He said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. Many times we we fail to win souls because we get so wrapped up in ourselves. There are people out there that need us. And there are people here this morning that you have failed to give. And I don't know. There's many reasons why people don't give. But I feel very, very strongly in the Holy Ghost to tell this this morning that you've been hurt. And you've given to somebody and they took advantage of you. And they hurt you. And so, therefore, you've retrieved and you you've hid yourselves and you think, I don't want to I just don't want to help anymore. I don't want to give anymore. Hear me. You're given for the wrong reason. If you were if you were giving to build up the kingdom of God, it didn't matter what they took from you. You would still give. And until we empty ourselves, God can't use us. There was a story. One, of the, I love this story. Elijah of the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall be uh, drew near rain these days, or these years, but according to my word, it's not going to rain. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And that shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Think about the humility that it would take for a prophet, for a man of God that used to speak in things to go to a brook and be fed by ravens, which was a nasty, dirty old bird. You're not going to dictate your life. You're, you're going you're to be there and you're going you're to sit under that, by that brook. And he said, I'm going to feed you and I'm going to do it the way I'm going to. I should feed you. Now, a lot of people would have said, look, I'm above that. I'm above that. I can make my own way. I can make my own living. The humanistic spirit that's in this world. And so he humbles himself and he went. He did according to the word of the Lord, for he had went and dwelt by the brook Cherith and and. That is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and fish in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening. And he drank of the brook and he came and it came to pass after a while the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to sustain thee. Think about this. He said, first, I want you to go eat by the brook chair. And he said, I'm going to send birds to feed you. That's humiliating. And then when it dried up, he said, now I want you to go and I want you to let a widow feed you. Now, some in this generation, there's so many people, the welfare mentality, they wouldn't have cared who fed them. And they wouldn't have cared who done without to give to them. But a real man, uh, you know, ha- has a little bit of self-pride and says, you know what? I'm not going to let this happen. I can do it myself. But you could see the, 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 the subjection that he was under. And he just he never, he never gave any account where he questioned. And he rose and he went to Zarephath and he came to the gate in the city. Behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks, and he called her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in mine hand. And she said, And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but all I've got is a handful of meal in a barrel. And all I've got is a little oil and a cruise. And behold, I'm gathering two sticks 
that I may go in the and dress it for me and my son. And we're going to eat and then we're going to die. Man, that's a that's a horrible plan. That's a horrible plan. I, all I've got is enough to make me and my son one more dinner. I got two sticks. I got enough corn in, in, my, in the vessel and we're going to eat and then we're going to lay down and we're going to die. Now, as a man, I would, I would have had a hard time saying, well, you go right ahead and you do that. How many of you men could have done that? I don't think there's any man in here in his situation that knew her situation would have said, you know what? You go ahead. You you give me what you and him was going to eat and I'll watch you die. I'll eat your last meal. You think about the severity of that. I got to find my place. And she said, as the Lord gives, I have not one. Okay. And Elijah said to her, fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me therefore a little cake first and bring it unto me. And after, after make it thee for, for thy son. And thus saith the Lord of God of Israel, the barrel, barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. Now this is what happened. And I'm coming to a close. What he was trying to tell her is, look, lady, God wants to fill your vessel from the bottom to the top. But God cannot do that until you personally pour out what you had already personally poured in. Did you get that? I want to give you a miracle that'll never run out. While there's a famine in the land, there everybody else is suffering for, for, for from this famine. I want you to hear me. I want you to know that I want to fill your vessel from the bottom to the top. But I can't do it until you pour out what you personally put in there. You're too full of, you've got too much stuff in there. And you're the one responsible for pouring it in. So you're the one that's going to have to take it out. But if you humble yourself and take it out and become empty. See, a lot of times we think empty is a bad thing. We think if you're left empty that you're going to, you're going to be without. And you, you, you feel violated. You feel worthless. But God cannot... It, it makes sense just in the physical and the spiritual. God cannot fill you from the bottom to the top until you get rid of what you've already put in. That's why he put the ball in our court and he says, humble yourselves. I want you to pour it out. Because until you pour it out, I can't fill you from the bottom to the top. This morning, I, 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 I feel very led as we stand. I feel very led to tell you that your whole, somebody in here is holding on to something. But the sad reality, this, just say the woman didn't feed him. The only thing would, would have happened is she would have poured what she had and she would have ate and that would have been it. She would have died along with the rest of the people in that city. But because she was willing to pour out of herself and give to, to the man of God, then God could use what she had. So this morning, I'm asking you, we will take just a few moments as this altar is open, as I want you to reach down. And I want you to begin to take things out and I want you to be give it, begin to give it to Him. I know that goes against your nature. The nature of, the, of, of, of men. Take it out. Begin to pour it out and say, God, I, I know that you can't fill me up from the bottom to the top until I pour out myself. I give myself away give myself to you.
I'm going to lay this microphone down. I, I'm going to, as we usually do, I usually lay the microphone down. I don't have to say anything else, but I'm going to open this altar up. I'm going to ask the men tonight at 530 to come and pray in the prayer room. Ladies, in the prayer room at 530. In Jesus' name. He knows how much sand is on the shores. sees every sparrow that falls. He made the mountains and the seas. He's in control of everything, of all creatures great and small. Questions of life. 